dismissed for Children's Church. So make your way to the back. Uh, Rob and Katie wish to send greetings from Cape Cod. They uh, are doing well, and uh, the uh, grandson definitely is a keeper. I, uh, I got to hold him and uh, cuddle him and all of that, so uh, had a wonderful time uh, for a few days in Cape Cod. It was, uh, it was a blessing. Uh, I got to see Rob lead a youth group and uh, just did a, a great job. Um, the, the kids were, were wonderful, enjoyed meeting them. Um, it's, it's kind of fun going in and uh, being known because you're your kid's father. And uh, I, I enjoy that. So it was a wonderful time, and I'm very, very thankful for that opportunity. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 10. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. If you look for Galatians 10, you're going to be looking a long time. There's no such animal. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. You know, an urban legend, and I went on Snopes to see if it can be confirmed or denied. It's a website that talks about urban legends, and um, it said it couldn't be confirmed or denied. But there's this urban legend about a guy that wanted to trim his hedges. Didn't have a hedge clipper, so he decided to be innovative and use a lawnmower. And he picked up the lawnmower and held it sideways on the shrubs, thinking, hey, I'll be able to trim my shrubs just holding my lawnmower. Now, as far as the downside of that and what happened, it varies from story to story. Some say he lost a few digits. Some say a couple of limbs. You know, But the idea is he was trying to take something that was meant for one thing, and had disastrous results when he tried to use it for something it wasn't intended for. And really, that's what we find in a much greater sense with the passage that we're looking into this morning and those who were trying to take the law and cause the law to bring about a position to where they're right with God. The law was never designed to bring righteousness. As we continue our study in the book of Galatians, what we're going to see is the law was designed to show us our unrighteousness. The law was designed to show us our need for God. So for us to come in and try to work our way to God, be good enough for God to embrace us and accept us, that is a misuse of the law. And that's what we're going to see this morning very clearly from the Word of God. Now, as we come to the 10th verse here in Galatians chapter 3, I want you to notice that reliance on the law causes us to be cursed. It's stated very plainly in the 10th verse, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now I want you to think about what Paul is communicating by this very firm statement. Earlier in the chapter of chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, the Apostle Paul was sharing with us the idea that justification can only come by faith. That's the positive side. How do we get right with God? How do we come to the place to where we are righteous before a holy God? 
And what the Scripture taught us in verses 1 through 9 is the only way, the only plausible way that we can be right with God is by coming to Him in faith. Now, as we get to verse 10, Paul sort of changes gears a little bit. And rather than looking at positively, how do we get there, he begins to shift gears and say, what is a way that we can't get there? And a way that we cannot get there is by the observance of the law. We can never be good enough to somehow achieve right standing with God. And that's what he's bringing out in this text. Now, what's really interesting is this. When we look at the 10th verse and it talks about the curse that we place ourselves under, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, what does the scripture mean when it talks about a curse? Now, a lot of times if you watch like the old werewolf movies and things like that, you see the gypsy who comes along and curses somebody, and you, you see all of these nonsensical ideas about a curse. That's not what a curse is. A curse is basically God expressing judgment that would be directed towards someone who is outside his will and outside his favor. That's the idea of a curse. And what the scripture is telling us in this text is that those who try to live a righteous life by keeping the law and saying, I, by my own actions, can come to the place where God must accept me, they are still under a curse. As a matter of fact, they are placing themselves under that curse by attempting to reach God in that way. Here's something that we find as we look at the historical setting. When you look at the law, there was a series of curses and blessings that were attendant with keeping the law. When we look in the book of Deuteronomy, we find that Deuteronomy expresses curses and blessings for the children of Israel in keeping what they could in the law. It was like, here are the consequences if you are disobedient. Here are the blessings if you are obedient. And it was something that was to impress upon them the importance of staying obedient. But even with that, what happened? The children of Israel were disobedient. What's really interesting is in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, we find basically the same thing that Paul is saying right here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Notice Deuteronomy 27, verse 26 says this, Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Now what's interesting about this context that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 27 is this. There was an entire ceremony that was developed around the reading of this verse. The ceremony involved two mountains. These two mountains had a valley in between them. Six of the tribes would go to one mountain, six of the tribes would go to the other mountain, and the Levites were right in the middle, right in the valley. And what would happen is this. The Levites would read some of the blessings, and one side of the mountain would say, Amen. And then they would read some of the curses, and the other mountain would say, Amen. And so it was a reminder to all of the tribes of the importance of understanding that we have consequences for not observing the law, blessings for observing them. But here's the problem. If we're going to go the route of observing the law, the standard is absolute perfection. 
Because look at what we find as we go on in this 10th verse. All those who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. What's the standard as far as hitting the mark when it comes to the law? Doing everything that is written in the book of the law. So I want you to think about that for a moment. The law is more than the Ten Commandments. The book of the law, over 600 requirements, almost half positive, half negative. You must do these things, you must not do these things. Now, I don't know about you, but it's hard to even keep the ten. Imagine 600. Are we going to be able to hit that mark? We can't even hit the ten, can we? Especially when you read in the Gospels where Jesus says that if we even think things, we're as guilty as having committed it. How are we going to pull that off? There's no way. So you know what happens? We find ourselves under the curse. And this is something that the Jewish readers would have understood as Paul was writing this. They would have understood very clearly this idea that I'm under a curse if I try to be right with God by observing the law, by trying to keep all of those requirements. Now, Paul would have understood this curse formula very, very well. The Apostle Paul shares with us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. You know what happened when Paul received 39 lashes? These were administered by the synagogue. And in between the lashes, they would read the curses of the law. So Paul had it fixed very well in his mind that there were curses associated with the law, having experienced that five times. And what he's saying to his Jewish readers and what he's saying to the Galatians is this, look, there is a curse that you're under in seeking to observe the law, and the reason you're under that curse is because you cannot do everything. You cannot do everything that the law calls you to do. James put it this way, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. The standard for approaching God and saying, God, I'm going to be right with you, isn't do your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. That's not the standard. The standard is this. Do you have absolutely no deeds and totally have good deeds? That's the standard. And if I don't have complete perfection, then I don't have a relationship with God if I go the way of the law rather than the way of faith. Here's something else we find in this text. As we come to verses 11 through 12, we find that righteousness will come to people only by faith. Righteousness comes to people only by faith. There should be an S on the end of that come. Hey, you know, I was on vacation as I was writing that. (laughs) But I want you to think about what is being expressed here as we come to the 11th verse. In verse 11, it says clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. Now, just in case we don't get it yet, 
Paul is reiterating a very important truth. No one is made right with God by the law. And here's why. Look at what he says right at the end of the 11th verse. The righteous will live by faith. Now here, the Apostle Paul is quoting another Old Testament passage. And in this passage, he's quoting Habakkuk. Okay, how many of you have read Habakkuk this week? On one hand, okay. (laughs) The book of Habakkuk is uh, a minor prophet, and basically he was writing about the Babylonians and the arrogance with which they conducted themselves. And what he does in the second chapter is he compares and contrasts. He shows the arrogance of the godless Babylonians and contrasts it with the faith of those who are followers of God. And when he says, see, he is puffed up, his desires are not upright, he's referring to the Babylonians. But contrast that with, but the righteous will live by faith. Now, I think Paul quotes that for an important reason here in the book of Galatians. There were those who were saying, hey, I can observe the law and be made right with God by my own efforts, by my own abilities. God must accept me. And what Paul, I think, is doing is shedding light on the fact that that's a very arrogant approach. To say, I can be good enough. Man, that's putting a lot of confidence in yourself, isn't it? That's looking at yourself and saying, I can get this. I can do this. You know, I had a friend who had a little girl, and she was learning to tie her shoes. And as she was learning to tie her shoes, they were in a hurry one time, and and the dad just said, okay, why don't you just let me do this for you? And she said, no, I want to do it all by myself. And then she struggled and struggled and struggled, and finally she looked up at her dad and said, Dad, help me do this all by myself. (laughs) And you know, that's kind of what these people are doing as they attempt to do the law. They're saying, I can do this all by myself. I can get this. Pride steps in. Even at an early age, pride manifests itself. But what we find here are those who are saying, I can do this. I can work my way to God. I can be good enough for God to accept me. And what Paul is saying is very important. It's a reminder that the righteous live by faith, not by what they do. And that's what he's bringing out here in the book of Galatians. Leave your finger here in Galatians for a moment and turn just a few books back to the book of Romans. Another place in the New Testament where this passage from Habakkuk appears is Romans chapter 1, verse 17. (coughs) Right after Paul says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. He then says this, for the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is faith from first to last, just as it is written. And here's the passage from Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith. 
God wants us to understand that it is faith that brings us to a place to where we are right with Him, not what we do. And then go back to Galatians, and I want you to notice what we find as we come to the 12th verse. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Now what we see is a contrast. A contrast between the one who lives by faith and the one who lives by their personal performance. And I want you to understand something. There are several words that can be used in the original language for comparing things. The strongest possible contrast is drawn between the person who lives by faith and the person who lives by the observance of the law. That's what Paul does between verses 11 and 12. He's showing that faith is the key to being right with God, not what we do. He wants his reader to understand that, yes, you're not justified by the law. The righteous live by faith. The law is not based on faith. The law is based on faith in yourself, but not faith on God. Faith in God understands that God has made a provision for us by giving us the Lord Jesus Christ, by having Him provide what we couldn't provide for ourselves by His death on the cross. And that's why right at the end of the 12th verse, he says, the man who does these things will live by them. In other words, once again, the idea, if you want to be right with God by doing the law, you live by trying to do them. You're not going to be able to pull it off. But basically, what you will do is you will try to earn your way to God. You will try to work your way to God. You will fail. You can either live by faith and be right with God, or live by your personal performance and miss that relationship with God because you're too dependent on yourself rather than being dependent on God. The passage right at the end of the 12th verse touches on Leviticus chapter 18 where it says this, Keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. He's reminding us that a life that seeks To make it to God by observing it requires perfection. You have to hit it 100%. Next point. Redemption comes to us by way of the cross. I want you to look carefully at the 13th verse. The 13th verse is such a beautiful reminder of what God provided for us. It starts off with the truth, Christ redeemed us. What does it mean to be redeemed? All of us, before we came by faith to Christ, were under a curse. We stood condemned before a holy God. But Christ redeemed us. You know what it means to be redeemed? The word redeemed means to buy out. It's a term that was used in the slave market. Slaves could be put on the block and sold for anyone willing to pay the redemption price. God paid our redemption price. We were in slavery to sin. That's the picture. 
that we have with this word redeemed. But God paid the price of our redemption. We don't have to pay it ourselves. We don't have to be good enough to somehow earn it. God freely gives us a relationship with Him on the basis of faith. And what it's saying is when we come the way of faith, we count on the work of Jesus Christ, not on our own work. Christ redeemed us. Now look at what else it says. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. He takes us out from under that terrible curse, not hitting the perfection, not hitting the requirement of holiness. Jesus Christ supplies what we can't supply for ourselves, so he redeems us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. What Jesus did was accept the penalty of our sin upon himself. Where we deserve to be separated from God because of our disobedience, Jesus accepts upon himself that cursedness, that separation from God the Father as a penalty for sin. When we look at what it takes to make us right with God, and we come to the place to where we understand that it took the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood on the cross to pay for my sin. We come to the place to where we understand that what would my contribution be to what Christ already provided? I could add nothing to what Jesus did. His sacrifice is so superior, so great, that how in the world can I think that I could possibly bring anything to the table in addition to that? That's why earlier in the second chapter, the Apostle Paul says in verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died needlessly. Look, if I could make it there myself, Jesus didn't need to die. But what he's saying here in 3.13 is, yes, Jesus indeed needed to die, and he died on a tree on the cross, becoming a curse for you and for me. And I want you to understand why he's considered a curse for dying on the cross. Look at what he quotes. Cursed is everyone who dies on a tree or who is hung on a tree. What the Word of God is explaining to us is the need for Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says this, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were powerless. We were helpless. We were without God. We were outside the blessing of God, only knowing the curse of God. But Jesus died in our place. And what He did was this. He accepted our penalty upon himself. In Deuteronomy 21, it says this, If a guilty man of a capital offense is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not 
desecrate the land of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So there was this principle in the Old Testament law that every Jew understood. When Jesus was hung on the cross, he became that curse for us. He took upon himself the penalty of our sin by becoming our substitute. That's the idea that's being expressed here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. You cannot, you will not earn your way to God by what you do. But praise be to God, Jesus earned it, paid it completely, satisfied the righteous requirement of God by dying on the cross in our place. He makes us right with God by what he did. That's the message of this passage of Scripture. And what a great message that is. Isn't it great to know that Jesus Christ has made us, as far as God is concerned, righteous and right with him? Now, I want you to look at this passage. Galatians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin. Jesus was sinlessly perfect. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. God is telling us in this passage that Jesus, our substitute, brings us to the place to where we are righteous before God. We don't have to worry, have I done enough? Have I somehow made it? Are my good things outdoing my bad things? Do I have to worry about some sins that are more serious than other sins? None of those things do I have to worry about. Jesus Christ takes care of all our sin, all of it. And we need to understand that before him, before God, we stand righteous because of that substitution. Then consider this passage in talking about the cross. Colossians chapter 2. Look at the 13th verse. You were dead in your sins. In other words, we were under the curse of God. You were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. God made you alive with Christ. Now look at this next statement. He forgave how many of our sins? All our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Do you get the message? The Word of God is talking about forgiveness that comes because of the cross of Jesus Christ. When a person was crucified in the Roman Empire, they would take their offenses, they would put it as a placard on the top of the cross, and the crime that this person was being punished for was nailed to the cross with them. You know what this verse is saying? Every sin that Rob Wheeler has committed was nailed to that cross with Jesus Christ. And forgiveness came. All my sin. And you know what? Plug your name into that and it applies to you if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting Him. Understanding that He has paid the price for our sin is freeing. It brings us such confidence, such hope, such peace with God. That's what the Scripture wants us to understand. That we have peace with God because of what Christ has done. Last part of this passage. The reason Christ redeemed us was to bless us. Now, this is one of the reasons. 
But I want you to look at what the Scripture goes on to say in verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through faith in Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus. I want you to think about the first part of this 14th verse. He bought us out of sin so that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Now, what was the blessing that had come to Abraham? Look at the third chapter, the sixth verse. Right here it says, Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know what the greatest blessing God gave to Abraham was? It wasn't the fact that the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. That's a blessing, but that's not the supreme blessing. You know what the supreme blessing for Abraham was? Being made right with God. What greater blessing is there than that? That's the entry blessing. You don't get any of the other blessings. Or even if you did have the other blessings, what would it mean if you weren't right with God? So what it's saying here in the 14th verse is, He redeemed us so that we could be right with God. That was His purpose in our redemption. We need to give thanks to God for what He supplies us in Christ Jesus. You know, as we enter into the Christmas season, I appreciate what Rebecca said moments ago. This is a time to reflect, but not just reflect on the baby in the manger. We need to reflect on the purpose of Christ coming. We need to remember that this was an event that God prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And in the prophecy of Jesus Christ coming, there was always the knowledge that He was coming to die on the cross for our sins. That wasn't a surprise. That was something that we completely understood from Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah. Isn't it a blessing for us to know that God has provided for our salvation even before Christ came into the world? There was this plan, this purpose. We are blessed by that. So during this preparation time leading up to Christmas, remember, Jesus came to redeem us He came to bring us forgiveness. He came so that we might have a right relationship with God. That's something that we need to focus on and give thanks to God for as we consider this. But I want you to look at something else. Not only do we have this blessing that comes to us through Christ Jesus of being blessed with Abraham, look at the last part of the 14th verse so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You know what the Scripture is telling us? Not only do we have the blessing of forgiveness, but we have the blessing of God dwelling right within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And as we're going to see later as we go through the book of Galatians, this has a significant meaning for us. You see, what I can't do in observing the law in my own effort The Holy Spirit can transform me, change me, empower me to do, apart from my own effort. As I depend on the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in my heart and in my life, He's the one that produces the righteousness of the law in me, rather than me just toughing it out and gritting my teeth and saying, I'm going to try harder and harder and somehow, someday I'll hit it. 
The Holy Spirit works within us to transform us, to make us more like God. And that's the great blessing that we receive also because of the redemption that we have through Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, there is blessing. I want to close this sermon with a passage from the book of Ephesians. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. It's just the next book over from Galatians. So if you're in Galatians, just a few pages past. And I want us to pick it up at the third verse and read through verse 8. As we see the blessing that comes to us because of Jesus Christ. Some of those blessings were mentioned by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. But here, a more extensive idea of how God has blessed us in Christ Jesus is revealed. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of His will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. So we have the grace of God. We have this blessing of a relationship with God. But then it goes on in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And look at how that grace is described. That He lavished on us. You know what it means to lavish something on someone? To give to the point of excess. Faith brings us into the place to where God lavishes His grace on us. It's a great position to be in, isn't it? Thank God we don't have to eke it out and try it out on our own. God lavishes His grace on us with all wisdom and understanding. And it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not a shred to do with what I am able to do by my puny efforts. Jesus paid every single bit of the requirement that makes us right with God. Our responsibility? Place faith in Him. Don't rely on your own effort. Understand that you are made righteous with God by your faith. Jesus buys us out of the penalty of sin. And He does this to bless us. To bless us with a relationship with the Father. To bless us with complete forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. Praise be to God for what He's given us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this passage. We thank You for the reminder that it is to us that it is faith that makes us right with You. May we avoid attempting to earn our way to You. May we understand the importance of walking with You, Lord, through the life of faith. Father, I pray this morning that if there is one who has been depending on themselves to be right with you rather than depending on the work of Christ, that this morning, Lord, they would come to the place
to where they embrace the truth that Jesus brings forgiveness. May they quit trying to be good enough to be accepted by you <coughs> and come to the place, Lord, to where they see that Jesus was their provision. His death on the cross brings them forgiveness and a relationship with you. It is faith alone in Christ alone that brings us salvation. Thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.